There's a, uh, there's a group of people, I don't know, five or six people who got this letter about planning some service projects. We were to meet tonight. We're going to meet in the elders' room. If you remember who you are, I can't remember who got that letter, okay? It's kind of weird, but if you remember, go to the elders' meeting, uh, elders room in there, and we're going to talk about uh, just a few things. And, and this is um, preparing for next Sunday night, the singing thing. We're going to learn two or three different songs. What I'm asking you to do during the week is go to YouTube, and I think we're going to try it right now. I'm going to show you. The words aren't there, but this group singing it a cappella is going to sing the song for you. This is the, one of the songs we're going to we're going to learn, and we're going to, what we're going to do next week is we're going to put the words on the screen, and you're going to hear it from this group, Precious and then we're going to sing it together. So here's what it looks like. Sure foundation, you are faithful to the end. We are waiting on you, Jesus. We believe your own. That's three of them. Those links are in the bulletin. One of them we sing still some more, like Cornerstone, but a couple of the others we're not familiar with. You can go to YouTube this week sometime and listen to this and even watch the words just like you saw right there. And then next week we'll do it all together. But if several of you have already mastered it by looking at YouTube, that will just make it a whole lot easier to learn them. So we're going to be doing that uh, once or twice, once every month or two, having a singing night like this. We sing some new ones along with the old ones and just get our singing uh, ramped up some. So just uh, participate in that if you would as you turn to Exodus chapter 18 for the evening. This is a weird chapter of Scripture that often I just end up with a bunch of questions that I ask myself and I end up telling myself I just don't know or you just don't know because I'm actually talking to myself. So I say you don't know, which means I don't know, which means it's just a humbling chapter. Here's kind of what, uh, the, the, do you remember the time when Jesus and the apostles were together and the apostles said, Jesus, there was this dude, didn't say dude, in the Greek it says that though. It, 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 it just, there was this guy who was, who was doing miracles in your name and we told him to quit. Do you remember this story? Okay, this is yes, and this is I haven't the foggiest clue what you're talking about. You remember this story? Do you remember what Jesus said to him? Don't stop him. He can't do that stuff and be against me, right? I mean, don't, don't stop that guy. He doesn't have to be in our group to be somebody doing something. And yet, we know from the Sermon on the Mount that there's, there's people who can do that and not be for Jesus either. Uh, I think that's the feeling I get when I'm in Exodus chapter 18 because there's this guy who seems like a really good guy, but he's not a follower of God. And yet he praises God, and yet he blesses God, and he has a communal meal with God. And then he goes to his own country and does his own thing. And we're left to wonder, what is this dude? What is this fellow? What is his status? 
And that's when I begin to realize, church, this is maybe what we've done over the years. Sometimes you simply don't have to know. Sometimes you, you can be left to go, you know what? I haven't the foggiest clue what God's going to do with that guy. I don't have to know, and I don't have to pronounce. That's kind of what I feel like in Exodus 18. So join me. Jethro, alias, a.k.a. Rule. He's called Rule too. Jethro, the, the priest of Midian. Now remember, he's a priest for an, a religious order we know nothing about, the Midianites. These are offspring of Abraham, so maybe there's some kind of subset of worshipers of God. Who knows? But they're not Israelites. They're not the people of God. But he's a priest for these people. Moses' father-in-law heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel and his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, he wants you to know he's Moses' father-in-law. We get this? We're not going to say it anymore. Had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he'd sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of one was Gershom, for he said, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. That's what Gershom means. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So there's his two kids. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, one more time, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. They've arrived at Sinai, finally, after all this time. They've arrived at the foot of Mount Sinai, and there is Jethro, his father-in-law, with his wife and two kids. And he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, you, you know who this is? This is his father-in-law. Jethro, I'm coming to you with your wife and your two sons with her. And Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And, and they asked each other their welfare and they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. And all the hardship that had come upon them in the way. And how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with your people. And Jethro... Moses' father-in-law brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat the bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. He has some kind of communal meal that we have no idea what this is about, but this guy gives praise to the God of heaven, the God of Israel. Later on in the chapter, it says he goes back to where he came from. We have no clue where he came from, what he practiced, what he did, what he believed. We know nothing. But he comes and he says, you know, I'm giving praise to your God for what he's done for your people. And I'm going to even have a communal meal with him. And then we're going to go, I'm, I'm going to go home. What about this guy? Some would say this is a conversion. Jethro was converted, but there's no indication he ever stayed with Israel at all. He kind of goes to his own homeland. What do we do with this guy? Out of nowhere, he's obviously, you know, God comes into Egypt and he says, the reason I'm doing these great miraculous things is so that the whole world will know that I'm God. And guess what? Egypt believes that, but they don't follow him. They work against him and God has to destroy them, basically. There's also Amalekites who they hear about it too and they attack the Israelites and God gives them victory. But there's this one guy, the Midianites, who hears about it and actually does give a belief Here's what I think is happening. The word is monolatry. Monolatry, right? 
not monotheism. Monotheism is, I believe there's one God. That's not what he's saying. Monolatry is, I'm going to worship him as the one God who alone is worthy of praise, even though there are other gods in the world. And so he's kind of saying, there's other gods, but yours is the best. And there's a lot of people in the Old Testament who come to this conclusion. You remember Nebuchadnezzar? And he deals with Daniel in Daniel chapter 2 and then the three boys in Daniel chapter 3. And he says, boy, you know, he's the greatest God in the world. Let's put him in with the rest of them. And he'll put him at the top of the totem pole. You know, we have a totem pole of gods. We'll put him right there at the very top. That's monolatry, if you believe that. They, they'll worship God, but they also believe in all these others. Or it might be this other one, this other henotheism. The belief in one God without believing in the existence, or without denying, sorry, the existence of other gods that also may be worthy of praise. So I'm just going to make God kind of like uh, one of the pack. I don't know what this guy believes. I have no clue. And he goes back to his hometown. Is he okay? Is this guy all right? Do we pronounce, oh, wow, you've been good to God. You've given him praise. And so you're saved. I, I don't think so. But he sure has done some good stuff. He has a high view of God and all the stuff he did for Moses. He gave him a place to live and an existence when he was in no man's land running from, from Pharaoh. He, he took care of, of Moses' family while he led Israel. He encouraged Moses when his own people didn't. And in a minute you're going to see he offered him some of the greatest advice he ever got from anywhere. None of that stuff saves your soul, but it's worth something, right? Jesus says, anyone who gives a cup of cold water in my name will not lose their reward, right? I remember this book. F. Lagarde Smith wrote this book called, Who is My Brother? This was back in a time I remember that will only call brother those people who believe exactly like me. And there's three people in the world who are my brothers. The rest of them are all wrong in some way. I've got four sound brothers, and the rest of you I'm wondering about. That's what I got from people, right? And what Effelgard Smith would say is, you know what? There's different ways to regard people as brother. They don't have to believe exactly like you. There's a lot of people who believe in the name of Jesus who may believe different things about it, but they have a, they have a unity with you that's greater than just your random person in the world who doesn't believe in anything. There are these categories. We do not have to define people, and we don't have to be the ones to make the pronouncement or judgment on anybody. But we do, like Moses did in this story, we do need to tell the amazing thing God has done for humanity. We need to share the story with them and talk about what God has done. And then we'll let them decide what they're going to do with it. And you know what else? I think we need to have friends who believe different from us. I am glad as my kids went through public schools that they had some good, wholesome relationships with ethical people. And it wasn't just Church of Christ people. If they had been stuck going through high school with just Church of Christ people, they had very few friends. But they had some people who had various levels of belief in Jesus and they acted like it some and they had this ethical way and I'm glad they have them. I, I got to tell you, if all your friends have to believe exactly like you, you're going to be the most poor person in the world. Now you're not pronouncing that just because that they've been friendly to you, they're all right with God. We're not saying that. We're simply saying, I don't have to make that determination all the time. And this chapter is one of those places I go to. 
Some people might argue in Acts chapter 2, when the believers all responded to the gospel, they all stayed together and they had this big commune, right? They had this great place where they all come together and talked about what they believed. But by four chapters later, God says, that's not what I have in mind for you. I want to scatter you across the world. I want you to interact with people who believe different. And I want you to know how to treat them with respect and not judge them all the time. How do we view these people? I'm just not sure. But I do know this. We do share the story of what God has done for us. We do share the truth of the Scriptures with them. We share it because we know they need it. We share it because we know that salvation that we've received and that great peace with God that we have, we want others to be able to experience, and there's only one way to do that, and that's through Christ, and we share it with them. But if they never respond to it, do we write them off? Do we treat them shamefully and hatefully? This week I had a visitor from a, a strange visitor in my office this week, and he is not a believer at all. He absolutely has no place for Christians at all. And he comes in and he, he wonders, how's this preacher? He actually is a relative of mine. And he comes in and he says, I wanted to know how you would treat me. If you would escort me out the door and even talk to me. Or if I have to believe your faith in order for you to have a conversation with me. That was an interesting question. I wanted to escort him out the door for a lot of reasons, but it had nothing to do with religion, right? Okay. But this guy was saying that his impression of Christians was that if you don't agree with them, they just kind of boycott you or they ignore you or, or they get kind of mean with you. So that's not, way, that's not the Christians I know. You don't know the right ones. He's up north. They're all Yankees. They are like that, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Michigan, you know, I don't know what Michigan's like. No offense, Ben. Uh, but how do we view these people? How do we treat these people? Now, here's what makes it a little more difficult is the rest of the chapter. Jethro begins to watch Moses, and here's how Moses did stuff. He was the guy who let people know, had, let the Israelites know what God thought about their stuff. And when they had a struggle and they wanted to know, I want to, we want to know what God wants us to do with this struggle in our family between my brother and my, and my sister or between making a decision about these options I've got. We don't know what to do. They'd stand in a long line all day long to have a chance to talk with Moses who could tell them what God thought about this particular dilemma of their life. All day long, he would sit and listen and these lines got longer and longer and longer. And they would end the day and start the next day with that line where it was. And it must have been just burdensome for everybody. And Jethro's watching this, and he says, Moses, that's not the way to do this. And my guess is, as a Midianite priest, he had the same role for his people, and he knows that's not the way to do it. And he says to Moses, I tell you what, you need to learn to delegate. You need to train people in what God wants for their lives and the way God thinks about things, train them so they can handle the lesser issues and you can just reserve yourself for the big stuff that nobody really uh, wants to do and knows what to do with. Train people, delegate it, share it so that it's not all on you. But he said, and this is interesting, Jethro said, but ask your God about it to make sure it's okay. I, I'm not telling you what to, I'm just saying this would be a whole lot easier on you and I want you to know he's bringing something over from his religion that's different and he's saying here's how you can, you can do this it would be easier. Now ask your God about it and if God wills for you to do this, this could be a great blessing to your life. A guy from a different religion brings an observation from life and applies it to this monotheistic uh, religion of Judaism and Moses likes the idea and he tries it out and sure enough, 
God wills it. They apply it and things are a lot easier. And here's this guy. He's not a believer. I don't know where his status is. I don't know what his standing with God is. But he, he gives a great big of help, bit of help to Moses and it makes things easier. And then he goes to his own land and he goes away. If we are so dead set and thinking we have it all right and everybody else has it all wrong, then we have this position that I can't learn from anyone else. And there's no reason to listen or respect anybody else because we got it all and we got all we need. And that is arrogant and that is obnoxious and that is flat wrong. Moses learns from his father-in-law. That's pretty hard to do sometimes, right? He learns from a different religion. And the scriptures are full of this, by the way. When you go to a, 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 a funeral for a lovely, godly woman, I can guarantee you there's one portion of scripture you will hear read at the funeral. Nearly always. Does anybody know where it is? Proverbs 31. The wife or the woman of noble character. This is a saying of King Lemuel. Now, somebody tell me, is King Lemuel the king of the north of the southern tribes? Neither. He's not an Israelite at all. In fact, it's not really Lemuel. It's Lemuel's mother who told him this. This is the kind of woman you need to look for. Wonder Woman with a big W on, you know. That's what you've got to look for. Well, an Israelite somehow heard this foreign proverb, this foreign wisdom literature, and thought, I really like that. And he steals it from them, and he comes over here and he puts it in God's wisdom book. God's wisdom book contains stuff found somewhere besides God's people, and they incorporate it. Why? Because truth is from God no matter where you found it. God is the author of all truth. Is that not right? So no matter where you found it, do you have the humility, church, to learn from people who think very different from you? Do you have the ability to have friendships of influence with people who believe drastically different from you and to have peace with it? They all have to be C of C people. In this chapter, this guy helps him a great deal shares with an observation that helps him a, a whole lot, and it's from somebody who's not even a sharer of his faith. And then I love it, Deuteronomy chapter 1, one of the final preaching uh, sermons of Moses, when he's wrapping up his life before he dies, he says, here's what we did out in the wilderness. We put people in groups of tens and fifties and hundreds to judge so that it'd be easier. He never mentions his father-in-law. You know what he did? He stole it. He covers up originality and he steals it. He never mentions his old dad-in-law. No, that guy's dead and gone now. And now he's nearly dead. And he says, let me tell you about this great idea I came up with. Moses, it wasn't even your idea. But it's okay. You took it from somewhere. You brought it to God and God says, I like it. And you put it into effect and with humility you were able to gain something you didn't have before. We've actually done this for years, church. We didn't start the bus ministry till the Baptist quit. Then we started it. And thought, we can't do what they're doing. But after they've done it a year and they've forgotten about it, we're going to start doing it. And look at this great idea. Come on. 
We take ideas wherever you find it. If it's a good one, take it and use it and bring God glory from it. It doesn't really matter where it came from. If I were to wrap up this chapter, and I'm going to, we're going to wrap up this chapter, it would be a couple of words. The first part is that here's, here's what it, it takes to be a follower of God. You've got to speak. Moses takes his father-in-law and his family in the tent and shares with them everything God did. This is what God did for us. This is how God saved us. And he said, I'm going to do this and that plague came and do this and that plague came. And you know who? God's the one who did it. You know what? He crossed the Red Sea. We crossed it on dry ground. God did it. And he does all this stuff and he tells about what God did. We need to be talking about our God and bragging about him everywhere we go. We need to be Christians who open up our mouths and brag about our God we need to brag and we've got a lot to brag about church we got a lot we got a lot in the Bible to brag about but you got a lot in your own life to brag about open up your mouth and brag Psalm 135 is a perfect example of this when he talks about I see all these gods in the world that people follow but let me just say this my God is greater than all of them let me tell you about him and that's what Psalm 135 is about and that's what Christians need to do Everybody you talk to, everybody you know, should know that you have a high view of your God. They should know. Do people know you have a high view of your God by the way you talk about Him? Christians need to talk. And then, secondly, Christians need to listen. I would wish for everybody in here that you had friendships with people who believe drastically different so that you can learn to listen. My sermons on homosexuality sound a whole lot different than they used to because I have a friend or two who struggle with it. It doesn't change my view, but it sure changes how I say it. And that's what it should be for us. You see, it's real easy to set up a straw man and just beat to death people who believe different from us, but when you have neighbors that you dearly love and have done things for you, of great kindness and compassion, they just believe different from you, suddenly you don't want to set them up as the straw man and beat the tar out of them in front of a congregation of people. Suddenly you want to respect them and say nothing that is unnecessarily hurtful. Does that make sense? We don't have to bash them. I don't agree, but I don't have to bash them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the things we disagree, but I'm going to do it respectfully because I love those people. And I also know this, they have a few things to teach me. Two keys to maturity are speaking and bragging about God and talking about God and listening to other people who view things different and having the ability to humbly listen. And I would say this is the most important message of this chapter. I think all this goes to say, like 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 is this passage. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and for training in righteousness. But here's the most important thing, and God wants us all to know this. In this chapter, we find that God does not want His Word wrapped up in one person so that everybody has to go to that one person to access that Word. He does not want that. He does not want His Word chained to a pulpit where only the preacher knows what it says. God doesn't want that. God wants all His people to be able to access His thinking about all the things in life and not just about the doctrines and about the things we preach on Sunday. He wants us to know when we have a struggle with a question about our lives and what we're supposed to 
to do. He wants us to have a hunger to know and go to that Word and be able to access what God would have us do about the daily mundane things of life, like how to treat an annoying neighbor. He wants us all to have it. He wants us all to know it. We are no longer in that time period of history where the church owned this book and made people come and hear what a preacher had to say about it. We now live in a time where everybody has access to an objective written record of God's will. And by all means, every one of us should hunger and strive to always come to that word and bring anything in life to it and stand before that word in submission. I want to know what it says. I don't want to have to go to a preacher. I don't want to have to call an elder and say, what does the Word say about this? Don't do that. You have it. Let's not be like they were back then. They had to. They had no choice. We now have an option. And God says, I want people trained. And then if you're really struggling with something, I want people to be known for how they can bring that word to bear on those circumstances. And God says, I want you to hide my word in your heart that you might not sin against God. I want you to internalize these things. And when you do that, because I admire what Jethro said and what Moses did, when Jethro brought this suggestion, he says, first of all, take it to your God and make sure that's what he wants. Any suggestion you hear from anywhere, it may sound reasonable, it may sound wise to you, but never just take any word from anywhere and assume it sounds good, it must be true. You take that thing, that word that you heard, that influential thing that you heard, and you bring it back to the word and you submit it to it, and you can determine for yourself, is this what God wants me to do or not? We serve an amazing God who wants you to know what he has to say. He wants you to speak about him, and he wants you to listen to other people and bring everything that you say and everything that you hear before that word and make a discernment. Is this what God would have me do? What's the status of Jethro? No idea. I sure admire the man. I appreciate the man. And it's not up to me, and it doesn't matter what I think. It really doesn't matter, and I don't have to know. I'm more than willing to let God to say to God, you take care of that, but I'm going to take what he brought me, and I'm going to use it to draw closer to you and leave the rest to Jehovah God. Let's brag about God. We serve a God who forgives us of our sin. Every sin we ever did, no matter how bad it was, no matter how pervasive it was in our life, he served a God who sent his son to die and shed his blood to cover up that sin, cleanse it from you forever, and he just invites you to say, you want your sins to be forgiven? Access that blood of my son through the waters of baptism and your sins are forgiven. I can brag about a God like that. I can brag about a God like that. And every day since then, he's been nothing but gracious and kind to me, and I know he has to you. Let's brag about him and let's listen and try to learn more about him and always keep that word in our hearts. If there's anyone this evening that needs to respond to the word, it's out there, it's yours. I don't know what response you need, but if there is one, now's the time to do it as we stand and sing to encourage.